This is Angel on Sax, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, best internet radio on the planet. KCWGthetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Dina Scott as well as Nicole Ward for that amazing, insightful discussion on modern relationships. Oh, man, we have one more segment to go, and I'm just thrilled out of my socks (laughs) to welcome this next guest. He has been a West Coast legendary, nationally known, internationally known commentator, specializing in the field of boxing. Oh, man, it is an honor to welcome him. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the legendary boxing analyst and commentator, Mr. Steve Kim. Steve Kim, are you there? Jimmy J. Rome, thanks for having me. How are you? I hope you're having a good Monday. Hey, it is an honor to hear you. I'm going to see if we can turn you up just a little bit. Well, thank you for joining us. It is an honor to have you here. Wow. I wanted to reach out to you because we had an amazing, shocking development in the world of boxing, and I know you are the go-to person to speak about matters such as this. Mr. Kim, we lost Sweet P. Sweet P. Whitaker. Pernell Whitaker, lightweight champion, I think welterweight champion, I think light middleweight champion. Uh, we lost him last night. Uh, you were one of the first people to post what had happened. Uh, what can you tell us about the uh, this tragic loss in life of Mr. Purnell Sweet Pete Whitaker, Mr. Steve Kim? Well, I woke up with some unfortunate news uh, this morning. It was a terrible way to begin the week. And right. uh, the news came out of Virginia that he had been struck by a car late last night, and it's stunning that he's no longer with us at age 55. And, and for me... Uh, DJ, I don't want to date myself, but I am a child of the 80s, and uh, you know he, he represents a generation of fighters that really helped foster my love of the sport. And um, you know, Me just too. to give a little background here, uh, given that the U.S. team in 1980 was pulled out of the Olympics by Jimmy Carter, at least the Summer Games, 
the 1984 Olympics in our city, in our Los Angeles. And uh, that boxing team, which included Mark Breland, Devander Holyfield, Virgil Hill, uh, Meldra Taylor, was very special to me. And they dominated that tournament. They won most of the gold medals. And it was such a big deal, boxing back then, DJ, that their pro debut was actually broadcast on national television in primetime by ABC. And I don't know if people realize this, yes. but the show that they went up against in November of 1984 is this sitcom called The Cosby Show, which crushed him in the rating. That's <laughs> a little wow. footnote to that career. <laughs> oh, wow. No, I didn't realize that. And if you're dating yourself, my brother, I'm going on that date with you because I remember that era too, man. 1984, I was actually um, – so, yeah, the boycott of 1980, I remember that. And then 84, the Olympics were in L.A. And right. walking by, I was working at a fat burger across the street from the Los Angeles Coliseum. It's now being remodeled or has been remodeled since that time, of course. And passing by, ironically enough – was the one and only gold medalist. He wasn't a gold medalist yet, but he was about to be. Mark Breland, welterweight champion, star of the Olympic Games, alongside the people you just mentioned uh, from that great 1984 boxing Olympic team. He was one of Purnell's uh, teammates as well. So that was quite an era. But when you talk about you have long renowned the skills of Parnell Sweet P. Whitaker as being one of the purest boxers we have ever seen. What can you tell us about this unique skill set that was uniquely possessed by Parnell Sweet P. Whitaker? Well, Parnell Whitaker's the type of guy that I guess you could say he could swim without getting wet. Uh, I mean, literally, right? he would go through a car wash <laughs> without having, and having not a single bubble of soap or a drop of water on him. I mean, he was the personification of the slick southpaw that he could yes, literally he stand right in front of you and be invisible. And as the old-timers would say, there's no sand. You, you couldn't hit him with a handful of buckshot if you threw it at wow. him. And, right. you know, a lot of guys pretend to be slick, but I think people conflate being slick with athletic. You can be fast. You can be athletic. You can be quick. You have great reflexes. But if you don't have that innate ability to make people miss by a half an inch or less, right. and then mm-hmm. also hit them, and not actually move all that much and do it over and over and over again. That is the sweet science. It's hit and not get hit. And Fernando Whitaker at his best, I think, was the personification of what boxing is. I I would say that to a lot of people, when people think of power punching and knocking people out, even if you're not from that era, I think a lot of people think of Mike Tyson. He's so iconic. And when you think of people that are slick boxers that are elusive, that can duck and dodge punches and look very stylish doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people are going to say Floyd Mayweather, but for me it'll always be Floyd uh, Pernell Whitaker because of the time and place that he grew up. And going back to how popular Pernell was, you have to remember back then, the mid to late 80s was that last generation when some of the major fights were still on, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And the first couple of title fights that Pernell Whitaker fought were actually on. First one was CBS. He got robbed against Jose Luis Ramirez in the summer of 1988 uh, in France. And then all of his other title fights, like against Greg Hogan, the rematch against Ramirez, those were actually on ABC Wild World of Sports before he transitioned fully over to HBO. So these, that, mm. that 84 team was really an iconic group of guys. Absolutely. Absolutely, sure was. 
And <laughs> I got to go back to your uh, reference to Dancing on the Water, Not Get Wet. You know, this is a P-Funk show, so anytime you reference a, a P-Funk George Clinton reference, we, we got to highlight that. But you are absolutely <laughs> right. And, in fact, it was a corner man. Um, what, what, what's the Nassim Richardson? He was in the corner. Nassim uh, Richardson, yes, yeah, famous for being the corner man of Bernard Hopkins out of Philadelphia. I know Brother Nassim very well. He actually made that phrase very famous in the school of boxing. Exactly. I, I was. I'm glad you said Bernard Hopkins because I was mistakenly about to assign that to a Sugar Shane Mosley fight. But you're right. It was Bernard Hopkins. He said, "Dance of the water without getting wet." And I remember. I don't know if it was uh, Lampley who was calling that fight. He was like, "Okay, what does that mean?" <laughs> right. But a, a lot of us knew exactly what he was talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I wrote about it for ESPN.com where I'm currently employed. Uh, they they asked us to give us our recollections of. What's one thing that stood out? Uh, my colleagues at ESPN, Dan Rayfield and Mark Kriegel. My personal recollection that I listed, DJ Rome, was the fight September 10th, 1993, where I thought it was an absolute robbery in broad daylight on international and national television at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio against Julio Cesar Chavez. It's the Come one on time I can honestly tell you where I said I'm never watching boxing. Uh, I was so disillusioned, right. so disgusted by that decision. And to give you some background, I was such a big fan of the 84 Olympic team. My favorite fighter from that team was actually Meldrick Taylor. Now, if you go back three years, yes. to this day, Rome, I still think that Richard Steele made a mistake. I do not agree with the decision yes. to call the fight against Chavez with two seconds left. You cannot tell me any different. I think it was a horrendous right. decision. I will never Absolutely. agree with it. And to me, right. that hurt me to my core to have that happen. Yeah. I believe that was March 17th, 1990. So we fast forward, and Pernell Whitaker is the WBC welterweight champion. I think they had a catch weight of 142 or 143. Size wasn't mm. an issue. They were basically the same size. And in my view, Rome, I thought Pernell won at least eight, if not nine rounds out of the 12. I thought Easily. it was an easy call. And I remember as the fight ended, I said, you know what? We did it for Meldrick. We did it for Meldrick. We did it. Right. We Right. And when they announced the majority draw, I, I, I have to tell you, I grew up in East L.A. at that point. I was in Montebello, California at that time. So majority of my friends and the people that I dealt with on a daily basis are Mexican and Mexican and American. And they even admitted our guy lost. Yes. Yes. It was a terrible decision. And I think at that time, wasn't he being promoted by Don King? And in, before well, he could Chavez get back to a rematch... Yes, yeah, Chavez was exactly. Don King, and at that point, Mike Tyson was still incarcerated. So there was a lot of pressure, or mm. there was the role that Chavez then became Don King's cash cow. Colonel Whitaker was actually, at that point, for most of his career, promoted by main events in the Duba family. And what got me back on, so for about three, four days, I was out of boxing. I was done with the sport. I'm never going to go back to the corrupt fast boulevard. I'm done with this. Boxing is over for me. That Wednesday or Thursday of that next week, I open up the mailbox. Sports Illustrated had an iconic cover with Purnell throwing a right jab. It was a great shot. And the caption read with an exclamation point, robbed. And mm -hmm. I said to myself, you know what? As long as everyone knows who really won the fight and what really took place and can at least understand that Turnout Whitaker is the rightful winner. I'm back. 
And I, and, and right. luckily for me, I never fell out of love with boxing again, despite some other bad decisions along the way. Right. Oh, boy. And that's one of the things, just one of the things that gave boxing its so, so-called, uh, quote-unquote, black eye because of very poor decisions like that. And we all knew it was political because, like you said, at the time, there was a lot going on with Tyson at the time. And, you know, Julio Cesar Chavez represented a huge demographic. And it was very profitable for him to be in fights because so many people would tune in and support him unequivocally, win, lose, or draw. And at that time, he was considered to be virtually invincible by his supporters. But that was a clear-cut decision, in my opinion. But this is KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is E.J. Rohn. And we're joined tonight by the incredible, legendary boxing commentator, Mr. Steve Kim, breaking down the life and career of the late and great Mr. Purnell. Sweet P. Whitaker, who tragically lost his Rose, life. Let me tell you a story yes. about that fight. That yes. took place at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. I've been there for several yes. fights. That's a very large Mexican-American enclave, okay? And there were mm-hmm. 63,000 people for a prize fight. It's basically, they use the whole, it's basically a football stadium now, but they almost sold out every seat in that venue. It wasn't just 15,000, 20,000. It was 63,000. People and I would say about sixty-two thousand nine hundred ninety-five of those people were Julio Cesar Chavez. And if you go back to that fight, mm-hmm. halfway through the eighth or ninth round, it was eerily quiet. I could see that on the broadcast. And Kathy Duva told me a story that after the decision was rendered later that night, everyone was very upset. Everyone's very angry. It was a depressing mood for everyone at main event. So they go to a Mexican restaurant that had stood open late. So most of this restaurant. Is Chavez fans, I'm assuming, Mexican. So they get a table for their group, and when Pernod Whitaker and the main event company walk in, Kathy says, I'll never forget it, that everyone, once they recognized it was Pernell, actually stood up and gave Pernell a standing ovation. And I thought that was really interesting. Absolutely. Well, if you had eyes, it was undeniable. It was irrefutable. But when you talk about his career, I mean, he did have some major wins. That was clearly a robbery. But when you think about some of his fights with people like Azuma Nelson, I mean, these are some legendary fighters that he's faced and beat. And how about the uh, the awesome uh, Roger Mayweather, who went on to be the incredible trainer of a certain fighter named Floyd Mayweather Jr. I mean, he's yeah. been there with some greats and made them look very amateurish. What are your thoughts on some of those other fights that he was triumphant in? Well, Roger Mayweather, people don't realize when Colonel Whitaker fought the Black Mamba, as he was called. He had one or two nicknames, actually. Colonel right. Whitaker was a novice still. He, I think he fought him in his 12th right. professional fight. I believe right. it was in the spring of 1986. It was on ABC, nationally televised. And Roger Mayweather knocked him down with one right hand, but the only time he really hit him. And Roger Mayweather ended up having a really nice run as a junior welterweight champion. About a year or two later, he beat a string of Mexican fighters out here in L.A., and he became known as the Mexican assassin. He made a really nice living doing assassin. that. And so right. when you're able to master guys like Roger Mayweather, who was a two-time world champion and had a big right hand, he's a dangerous right-handed puncher, yes. to do that that early was incredible. And you take a look at some of his other victories, two victories over another Hall of Famer, James, Buddy, McGirt. I remember those fights being yes. on HBO. Um, yes. The guy was a unified, lightweight champion, meaning that there were no other champions by the time he was done at 135. 
And, and really, right. he could have stayed at 35 for a long time, but he had run out of challenges, so eventually he became a champion at 140, became a champion mm-hmm. at 147. And so um, I was actually at the Delahoya fight, the one major fight of Turnell Whitaker that I was in attendance for. I was very early in my career. A lot of people thought he did enough to win that fight. I'll be honest, I thought that fight could have gone either way. But at that point, okay. Turnell... Yeah was really past his prime. And I'll be honest, I, and part of my story today, if you want to read it, Ronnie Shields was a very noted trainer, was in that corner for 10 years of Pernell Whitaker, and, and he did say that the decision against Chavez, I think disillusioned Pernell from boxing, that he was never quite the same, could never find quite the same motivation, and, you know, he had some substance abuse problems, and so yeah. he probably shortened his own prime, but Chavez lost. Typically, the fight wasn't that punishing because he didn't get hit a lot, but psychologically, it did something to him where he never really regained his mojo. Wow. And how many times have we seen that, Steve? I mean, look at Jeff Left Hook Lacey when he lost to, uh, what's my man, the Southpaw in uh, London? Oh, Joe Calzaghe. Yeah, man, look what happened to him after that well, loss, man. Well, you know, the difference with that one, Rome, is that Cal Zaggy put Jeff Left Hook Lacey through the absolute meat grinder. That fight should have been stopped around rounds 9, 10, or 11. Definitely. You know, think what Cornell was, and if you talk to a lot of people that are around him, which I have, he loved the box, uh, he loved the sport, but he also loved his liquor and alcohol and, and other substances. Yeah. And... He was such a natural fighter that he can get away with it. But I do think that once he was never able to really get that rematch, you go back to Don King. Look, Don King thought that Chavez yeah. was going to run right through Purnell the first fight. And that didn't happen. And Don right. is very astute. That he understood that if he fought ten times, Chavez may not win more than once or twice. He wasn't going to risk his cash cow, especially with Mike Tyson being imprisoned That's at right. that point. So, and Absolutely. I've seen that happen. Purnell could never get the rematch as an older guy against uh, Oscar De La Hoya, you right. know, after their fight in 1997. So, you know, if you go back to Purnell's career, he didn't have that many fights. He was 44-1, and one, and three of those losses are heavily disputed. And his first loss against Ramirez, obviously the fight against Chavez and the fight against De La Hoya. And then he had one fight uh, late in his career, and back in 2001 against the journeyman Carlos Borquez, where he was kind of an old, broken-down guy. He broke his clavicle, and they just waved off the fight. That doesn't even really matter. But, you know, Purnell, to me, the only thing that could really stop Purnell was two things. Number one was his personal habits, and number two was the institution of boxing. Mm. Wow. Well, I tell you, man, it's, it's going to be few that will be able to match his talent. And when I think about his influence on modern boxing, Steve Kim, um, how do you think someone, this is a stretch, so bear with me, uh, people like Roy Jones Jr. and even uh, Tyson Fury today, who's a heavyweight, a big guy, who also doesn't have a big punch, but is known for making people miss and miss by inches, but just enough to get out of a way, be elusive, and then land his own punches. How do you think he compares, and what, what do you think his influence is on today's modern boxer? Huh, that's an interesting point. I, I don't know if there will ever be a stylist like Purnell that will have the type of respect or adulation with that style 
that he did. And I yeah. think that's for several reasons. Number one, if you go back, go back to the Olympics of 84, that was the last Olympics, or one of the last Olympics, maybe you can say in 1988, where boxing was really one of the marquee events of the Olympics. That's not the case anymore. And there was a time, mm. going back to Ray Leonard, that if Howard Cosell, who was who did all the boxing coverage for ABC, but the summer games, if he said, you're a star, you're basically a kingmaker. So right off the bat, Pernell Whitaker had a certain plateau of popularity that doesn't exist anymore. Then, you know, all of his early fights or major fights were on platforms like ABC. And I think people back then appreciated that particular style more than they do today. Um, I don't know if you call it more of a bloodthirsty mentality that exists for the fans today, but there was a certain artistry with with um, with Purnell that I'm not so sure anyone can replicate. Maybe Floyd Mayweather did to a certain degree, but right. the way Purnell did it, you know, we kind of grew up with Purnell. I mean, you have to understand, in the 80s, ABC Wild of Sports, they used to actually televised a lot of the amateur tournaments, or at least the amateur duel meets. So everyone kind of knew who Mark Breland was uh, as an amateur. Right. We, we, we kind of had an idea of who was going to be good. So I don't know if those mechanisms are there anymore. And the way yeah. Purnell did it, I, I, look, a lot of guys can be elusive in the ring, DJ Rome. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of guys can be fancy, they can be slick, they can be quick. But it, it, I think it takes a special breed of guy to actually make it entertaining, because think about it, out of 45 professional fights, you only had 17 knockouts. Exactly. So basically, you knew what you were getting. It's like appreciating jazz music. It's not pop music, right? not hip-hop. So you know, jazz music is kind of like this very intricate niche that you have to have an appreciation for. So maybe Pernell Whitaker was the last of the Coltrane's when it came to professional prize fighting. Ooh, wow. That's deep. Well, he's going to be missed. Well, we're just about out of time, but before we let you go, we got to get you on the record a little bit. We got a couple of major fights coming up down the horizon. Some are confirmed, some are not. We got the heavyweights going at it. Deontay Wilder is going to be fighting uh, Ortiz again, I think. And of course, the big one is Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman. What are your thoughts on those matchups coming up down the road? Well, the Tyson, okay, Deontay Wilder, Louis Ortiz, my understanding is that if it happens, which I, but they've already announced it, but I'm hearing different things, but if it does happen, it's going to take place November 9th at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. So that's pretty much a short drive for us. It's an interesting fight. I think there's still an element of danger, but I, I get the sense, though, DJ Rome, that from the last time they fought, which was March of 2018, Deontay Wilder is ascending, and it seems to me that Louis Ortiz is descending. He's starting to really look his age in subsequent right. fights. And if he can win that fight, and I believe Tyson Fury is scheduled to have a tune-up fight sometime in the fall, that there will be a rematch between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder in February or March of 2020. So, so there's some big fights coming up. Thurman Pacquiao, uh, wow, interesting fight. I would say if this fight was five, six, seven years ago, you'd have to think that Manny Pacquiao would be the clear favorite. But Manny Pacquiao is still 40. Now, I was able to see... Manny Pacquiao out at the gym about two weeks ago. He still looks very good. But okay. 40 is 40. You know, Father Time, for the most part, is undefeated in this sport. But on the flip side, I don't know how good Thurman is. I think Thurman has a lot of holes technically, and he hasn't been very active. And the last time we saw him back in January, off a near, nearly a two-year layoff, he was hurt very badly by a guy that doesn't hit very hard, Jose Fico Lopez. 
That is a fascinating mm. fight. I think I might be mm. going with my head here, but I still think Manny Pacquiao is good enough to beat a somewhat rusty version of Keith Thurman. In fact, now, DJ Rome, the odds have flipped where the money has come in on Pacquiao, and he is now the betting favorite. Oh, wow. It's hard to bet against him. He's been so entertaining and consistent over the years. Uh, we got about 60 seconds left, Steve Kim. I can't thank you enough for being here. But real quick, uh, back to the heavyweights. Uh, any thoughts on Anthony Joshua coming back and getting back into the fold with Andy Ruiz and the other major heavyweights yeah. we've been talking about? I talked to Eddie Hearn a couple weeks ago. It's very simple. The fight's going to be in New York. It'll be on Thanksgiving weekend on December 7th. And if it's going to be in the U.K., which I believe Andy Ruiz is balking at, it'll be on December 7th or the 14th. Andy Ruiz made it very clear that despite having a rematch clause and a binding contract, he doesn't want to go to Europe. And I think that has been the delay in announcing that rematch. But again, I'll, I'll make it very clear, there is a contracted rematch. The, the question at that point is not if that fight's going to happen, but when and where. Right. Well, that is some amazing commentary. Well, Steve Kim, it is unbelievable to talk to you, man. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your expertise. I know we can find you on ESPN. Any other handles we can check you out at? Yeah, if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter and our Instagram, I do a lot of boxing posts. It's Steve and the last ESPN Kim. So it's Steve ESPN Kim. And it's only one E between the ESPN and the S-T-E-V-E. All right, when we archive that, we're going to spell it exactly that way. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I also want to thank Zakari Reed Glenn as well as Dr. Dina Scott and Nicole Ward for joining us tonight, and, of course, the legendary Mr. Steve Kim. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Broman. We're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. I'd like to thank our producer tonight, Mr. Andrew, and we are out of here, y'all. Take care. See you next time. 